0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Asad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? That is accurate. 100% accurate. And you know what? You can find Ben's work all over the internet. I really encourage you to just search out every piece of content that he has ever written or produced. Ben, give him a head start. Tell him where to look. Please don't do that. Uh, the, ah. the, you can find my
1: work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, and at Haggerty.
0: And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, uh, Nouveau Magazine, and Electric Autonomy Canada. I like ben, Electric Autonomy Canada. I like that
1: you write for a publication that could also be a department of the government.
0: Yeah, I love. I like that name. I like, it's a super I, official
1: sounding name. Like if, toni- someone, if someone came up to me and said, excuse me, sir, I'm with Electric Autonomy Canada, I would instantly assume I was under arrest.
0: <laughs> Just walked over there. Uh, sir, so you're going to have to come with us.
1: Hand on the shoulder. Sir, <laughs> you're um, wanted for charging crimes.
0: Oh, you have been... You have been put on a list for your char- charging crimes, Ben. Look,
1: I will admit to some freelance charging, but <laughs> I did not know it was illegal.
0: There was actually, you have a charger update, didn't you? Didn't you move and you put your charger in your, moving, in your moved spot? So I
1: did do that. And it's funny that you bring that up because I was planning to do an article about that. Because
0: oh no, oh no. I'm th- ruining
1: it. Well, I think, no, no, no. its It didn't end up happening. I'm going to tell you why. Because I thought that, you know... The installation process for car charges is something that I think is daunting for a lot of people because you Mm. always hear these crazy cost estimates like, okay, so maybe your house doesn't have enough. You have to have a 200 amp panel, basically. And a lot of older houses don't have that. They're usually around 65. Sometimes they're 100. Um, So – they're worried that if you want to buy an electric charger, you're gonna to have to upgrade your panel, maybe even your electrical entry point, and that can add thousands to the cost, like five, six, seven thousand dollars, whatever. You hear all these crazy numbers. And then there's the cost of actually installing the cabling and the plug, which is entirely dependent on how far your plug is going to be from the electrical panel. Mm-hmm. When I was living in Montreal, I was really lucky because my electrical I had installed a brand new electrical entry at the rear of my house next to my garage door when I bought the place because it was like a 60 watt or and um I, I didn't. Sorry, 60 amp. And I wanted to use an electric heater. I wanted to use air conditioning, all this stuff. And there was no yeah. way I could do that. So when it came time to do the electrical car charger, the panel was directly beside the um, entrance to the garage. So it was easy to just drill a hole through that. I think the guy quoted me something like $600 to do it or five five to $600 as a rough estimate. Yeah, but he said it could go up to like twelve hundred, seventeen hundred.
0: Yeah, just, yeah. Just to connect. So this is I, actually, I'm terrified that that's how much it'll cost for me to install in, a charger in my. In well, my where
1: house. is your panel? Is it in the basement or is it in the yeah, garage?
0: It's in the basement. Okay, so yeah, it could be. It it Stop t- telling our listeners every detail about how to hack my panel.
1: <laughs> the location of the panel is all they need. First that's of all, all how do you hack a panel? It's I don't like know. It's, it's not. It's not like your panel connects to Wi-Fi. I'm is like your panel a, playing Candy Crush right now? <laughs>
0: It's, no, it's playing Flappy Bird, which, from what I understand, isn't available anymore.
1: Okay, I guess pour one out for Flappy Bird. Anyway, back to the <laughs> back to my my on-topic story. Um, when I bought this place the person who owned this place was meticulous about maintaining it, labeling everything, making sure that everything worked. Like he kind of engineered solutions to a whole bunch of stuff in the house and the electrical, like there are honestly plugs all over the place. Um, there's plugs connected to switches. There's plugs inside and outside. It's it's just really well done. And on the garage, there was a separate electrical panel in addition to the main one in the house. So I was like, okay, it's going to be easy to just connect to this. And then I realized There was a 240-volt outlet (laughs) next to the garage door, Sammy. Okay. Like a large... That's good fortune. Or is it 240, 220? I can't can't remember my mind right now. It has over
0: 200 volts. I mean, come on now. We can generalize. Yeah, whatever you would plug a dryer
1: into. So I assume (laughs) he was maybe using it either for an RV or to plug in a welder. But what happened when I called an electrician to come install my charger, which cost me about $300 to remove... Mm-hmm. At the at my old condo because they had to do the wiring, which is one thing, but they also had to install a plate over top. They left the wiring through the wall, but they capped it off so that it would protect it from weather. So whoever buys my place once it's on the market will be able to just instantly plug in their electric charger for almost no money. It's going to be a very simple install. And that's what happened here. He, okay. It took him less than an hour to just remove the 240 or 220 volt plug and and, and uh, put the charger in its place. And it was exactly positioned where you would want it for plugging in a car. And it was super... I think I, I paid like $90.
0: That's amazing. Which is oh great. He,
1: when I was talking about how much it would cost, he's like, look, he's like, I didn't even have to use any materials. It was just a super simple installation. Um, and it turned out to be very... like I think I paid for an hour of labor. So... Uh, it was an experience that I thought would be a lot more involved that turned out to be very simple. Okay, so
0: that's, I mean, you, this is actually the second time I think you've provided an EV charger installation story that was far more painless than than people yeah, typically expect. Yeah, making
1: me wonder, maybe it's not as bad <laughs> as people are making it. Because this house was built in the 90s, and the house in Montreal was built in 1925. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I had to initially upgrade it. But that was an upgrade that I would have done anyway. I had to do that for the electrical system of the house. Right. So I think that a lot of people's homes at this point, if you're using electricity to either heat or cool your home, or if you have maybe a jacuzzi or anything that could have a large power draw, that might mm. spike your your panel, you're already going to have that upgrade in place. So I think it's less daunting than it needs to be.
0: Okay, cool. Um, why don't we continue our conversation though to to discuss the vehicle that you recently drove, which yes. is a which is a weird one, which I think have a lot of people have a lot of questions about. Um, mainly because, first of all, it's from Toyota. Toyota has a massive portfolio of cars, but I think most people know Toyota for the the classics, which is the Corolla, the Camry, the classics. Rav4, and uh, probably one of their pickup trucks, the, the Tacoma.
1: I'm trying to picture, like, a classic Toyota radio station that just plays the classics, and you turn it on, and it's just someone either talking about a Corolla or a Camry. Like, regardless of what time of day it is, there's always someone calling in.
0: And it's super reliable. Like It's just, uh, you know, I I turn
1: the key, and it runs, and I change the oil, and that's pretty much all I do. And I bought it in 1997. (laughs) I'm still on the original tires. Yeah. Um, So the Crown, I'm driving the Toyota Crown. Yes, the crown, which is, weird, is,
0: which is a weird, which is a weird process. Where do you put this vehicle in the lineup? So it's weird for a
1: bunch of reasons. The first reason is the crown is a name that has been in Japan for a long time, like 1955, right? Making crowns and crowns were, I think, kind of a pseudo flagship for a while. Not really because they always had the Century, which is at, way at the top. But um, I think the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the Lexus GS, I believe, was based on a certain generation of Crown for a while. It was that kind of size sedan. But the the crown as it is today, when they came out with this last year, or I guess they announced it last year, for 2023, they were replacing the crown with like five different models. (laughs) And some of them were sedans. Some of them were crossovers, like a compact crossover. There was an SUV. There was a wagon. It it was this whole family of crowns. And when that happened in Japan, they told us in, in North America that we would also be getting a crown, but it would just be one model. And the thing about it is, if you look at it, it looks a lot like a crossover. So the Crown that we got, it rides, it has kind of an elevated ride. height. think like, remember back in the 90s when they introduced the Outback and we got the Sports Activity Sedan, the S-A-S? It was a,
0: well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It was a, it was a legacy, that was the Outback legacy, but not the wagon that we're so familiar with today. It was actually a sedan. And this is kind of what the Crown is like, except... Add to that cladding and ride height the fact that it has, like, a droopy rear end that suggests it also has a hatchback. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gives you a crossover feel. Yeah. So, you approach this car, and you're looking at it, and you're like, okay... Toyota has removed the Avalon, which was the previous full-size car in the lineup, and replaced it kind of with the Crown. And the Crown is a crossover, and that all makes sense, because no one was buying sedans anymore, and especially no one was buying the Avalon. I think they were doing like 12 dollars to $14,000 a year, which is really not that great, and certainly nowhere near the peak uh, of that car. And the Avalon, it was fine. It was a car that was aimed primarily at older buyers, yeah. People who were, you know, traditional sedan shoppers. It was large, it was comfortable, it was inoffensive, it had a big V6 that didn't great great gas mileage, but it had okay power. And it was just, you know, it was, it was one of the last of its breed. There aren't a lot of cars like the Crown left out, sorry, like the Avalon left out there. Kind of like the Impala, um, kind of like the Crown Victoria, although much more advanced than the Crown Victoria was. Okay, So the Crown's taking its place, right? Yeah. And when I first saw the Crown, I was like, okay, I'm a little you know, tired of crossovers and whatnot. But I have to say, I don't think it looks bad. I do think it looks weird, but I think it looks weird in the kind of way that attracts attention um, from people who are curious, not in the kind of way where people look at it and go, ugh, I don't want that near me. Right. You know, but I understand you feel differently about it, Sammy.
0: No, I think it's a very, I don't think it's a very attractive looking car. And I also think that- What do you not like about it though? I don't know. I think the proportions are a bit wacky for me. Like the, it doesn't quite look like, you mentioned it kind of has like this, like, a hatchback sportback kind of profile and I don't think I really see that very well here I don't think it's really well um, uh proportioned in this way okay I mean it feels like Toyota looked at a at a stinger and said we can make that uh way bubblier and they did <laughs> um, so and I, I thought... also think that I also think that design although like placement wise like you mentioned it's tough to decide whether or not Toyota was going for a re- a more a more approachable replacement for an avalon or another um another step in the world of Honda cross tours and BMW like a, six series GTs like and a like step
1: up a step up from the Venza, kind of right?
0: Like weird cars, like it just a, a a totally a white space that they never really had a space in, and that not a lot of people are clamoring for. Do you know what I mean?
1: So I want to expand on what you said about the stinger because that's gonna bring me to the thing I like the least about the crown. Okay. And it's the fact that when you get to the rear of the of the vehicle where it looks like it should have a hatch and for all intents and purposes, it should have a hatch. Huh. And you hit the unlock button. First of all, nothing happens because this is a $55,000. I drove the top trim Platinum. It's $55,000 and it does not have a power trunk. That's okay. a bit of a mistake. Second, it has a trunk, an actual trunk. And then you pop the trunk and you look inside and it's actually not all of that large. It's I, I, I double checked. It's like just over 15 cubic feet, which is not big for a sedan trunk. Not at all. And then I checked the Avalon. It had a 16-cubic-foot So this is actually, for all of its crossover posturing and its SUV-like looks, yeah. it's actually less practical than the Avalon. And then things get a little worse because um, I was using this to kind of clear out a storage locker. And I figured, oh... I'll take the sort of crossover looking vehicle and it will provide me with all the space I need because the rear seats fold down. And indeed they do fold down, but there's a problem. And that's the fact that the the crown's hips are so tight. Like it's like, it's wearing a corset and right where the entry point between the passenger compartment and the, the cargo compartment is, it just squeezes. And I couldn't actually fit any boxes through that. What I ended up doing, you can fit longer items if they're not very tall, but what I ended up doing was I just popped the seats back up and just piled them on top of the back seat. And I used the trunk and the back seat as two separate areas for storage. I loaded it to the roof. That was really frustrating, Sammy.
0: Okay.
1: So In a, in a Stinger, you have yeah. so much room. In a, in a 6 Series Grand Coupe, or sorry, 4 Series Grand Coupe, because um, the 6 yeah. Series doesn't have a hatch. You have so much room. And then Toyota just kind of totally dropped the ball here by making us think it's an SUV and
0: then wiping out the utility that could come with that why like this is my question It's makes like no why sense. makes no sense what is th- this is what makes me really i don't want to say upset but like uh this is what makes me like furrow my brow and be like what was going on here because the advantages of a larger sedan or sportback are being squandered right like yes
1: this is so what 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 i don't understand is like you said this is an unusual vehicle what toyota did was they had a chance to go full weird and like, make a vehicle that was outside of what its rivals typically have to offer or close to something like a Stinger, which is more of a grand touring car, more of a sporty car, but very practical. Mm -hmm. Instead, they made something that looks like it's more practical, but is actually just a sedan, and they didn't commit to the bit. They didn't go all the way with the crown. And I think that that is a mistake. I think that... Either they're protecting a crossover that's going to come later and will also be called the crown, which seems like a confusing strategy. And it seems like it will doom them to just sell the same number of units they did with Avalon.
0: Okay.
1: Or they didn't have enough faith that people wouldn't consider this something like a cross tour or the 6 Series GT, which are two vehicles that nobody bought and were super confusing to the uh, intended buyers. Like
0: Because, on- well, all the cross tour should have just been an Accord wagon. It didn't make it. That way and because they apparently wagged with an ugly word. And the six series
1: GT was a blob of a vehicle that was quick, fast, comfortable, and and super practical, but nobody wanted to get near it because they looked at it and they're like, What is this thing? Like it doesn't look like anything else that's (laughs) out there, and it doesn't really have any distinct style of its own. And unfortunately it just missed like the X six, on the other hand, which is not practical. (laughs) And yeah. Super popular. So it's it's a, it's a tale of two weird things. Like yeah. BMW went all in on both and only one of them worked. And yes. it's too bad because the 6 Series GT, we've said it before the podcast, maybe the best all around modern BMW.
0: <laughs> okay. So then like we've, I love that some, every once in a while we get into this tangent where we talk about this one car that nobody bought. The and 6 we Series like... GT is a specter that haunts <laughs> our podcast. I know. Um, but um, back to the crown, there has to be something about this vehicle that stands out. I mean, it has a power. It has a powertrain that I think is uh, is slowly being introduced into the rest of the. Okay, listen. I need to stop for a minute because I believe it bothers me so much that they made this vehicle because I think <laughs> a next generation Camry is on the way, and as usual, a new vehicle will get bigger and <laughs> will make this crown less relevant. So you're Anyways, saying that sorry. the Camry is going to be crown
1: sized and it's going to kind of steal the crown's thunder and thus. Also doom it to Avalon like sales levels.
0: <laughs> and it, yes, exactly.
1: So and the and the new Camry will kill it. Of course, will be amazing. I want. So, I, I do want to talk about this drivetrain because I, I I didn't dislike the Crown. I was just disappointed by the fact that it didn't go full weird. But mm-hmm. there 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 is a very important part of the Crown package, and that is the hybrid system that it brings with it. Except there's an asterisk to go with that, and I'll get to that later. But first, since I drove the Platinum, I got something called Hybrid Max which is a four-cylinder, 2.4-liter four-cylinder engine, plus a single electric motor on the rear axle. So it's all-wheel drive. It's 340 horsepower, Sammy, and 400 hey, pound-feet of torque. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. But even more important than that, it is whisper quiet and incredibly smooth. And when is the last time you heard someone say that about a four-cylinder Toyota hybrid?
0: That's important. You're right. That that hasn't happened in a while. Most of the time, uh, the Lexus products are quieter, but... Um...
1: Okay, I'm and, into and, it. And when you when you look at the larger Toyota four-cylinder hybrids, like the Sienna, for example, mm-hmm. there are nothing but complaints about the vibrations and harshness and sound and noise that come from that drivetrain. Right. Um, I was prepared for that to happen in the Crown. I was like, this is just going to be another Venza for me. And it wasn't. It was fantastic. It has one of the best engine start stops in the Toyota lineup. Um, it's imperceptible. And I think... Part of why this engine is so smooth is because there's no CVT. It uses a six-speed automatic, which is super strange. I I haven't driven a six-speed automatic in quite a while. Uh, I know there are still a few of them lingering out there. Most of the market's gone to eight or nine. Six or an eight. It's a a six-speed automatic. Yeah, Um, you might want to double-check that fact for me right now. But I do believe that's, and I I think it's because Toyota has that transmission available, uh, and it's they didn't have to develop anything special for the Crown. Okay. It gets 29 miles per gallon city, 32 miles per gallon on the highway. Those are great numbers for a large, powerful vehicle. I saw like 39 miles per gallon during one highway trip, which was pretty impressive. Around town, um, and when I was doing like mixed driving, I think I saw more like 24, which okay. I would be happy with for for uh, combined. In any case, okay. This yeah. is it's quick. It's reasonably quick in a straight line, just something like 5.7 seconds to 60, which is not bad. And it's yeah. not a performance vehicle, so that's a little unexpected. Uh, in corners, it's floaty, somewhat disconnected. It kind of um, ducks around. It, it, it doesn't bob and weave so much as it kind of uh, ducks and, and and bumps. Sorry, that's, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs>
0: Are we keeping that in?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna have to cut that. I think later. No, okay, uh, no it's, Sorry, it's I, I, it, it floats floats and bobs instead of ducks and weaves. That's okay. that's what I was going for. I couldn't remember the word floats, which is fine. I mean, it's a large family car, uh, and okay. the, the thing is, though, Sammy, it's 53 grand, right, for the for the platinum. If you want a cheaper version of the Crown, it's out there. There's an XLE and a Limited, but they come with a different uh 4 cylinder hybrid that is exactly the same as what you would get in a RAV4 aka noisy aka not that smooth so i'm a little disappointed that you have to pay that much to get the improved hybrid max and i hope that that hybrid max finds its way into the corolla cuz that would not the corolla sorry the camry cuz that would be pretty cool can you imagine yeah, a 400 be... pound
0: foot camry i mean yeah that would be sick actually um but you did mention that there is no there's no um options for this powertrain. It's this one only, right? Only for the platinum. Oh, only for the platinum. I so just the, other models- the XLE and the limited have
1: the same drivetrain as the Rav4 hybrid. Okay,
0: right. And so there isn't a plug-in hybrid that would be like a prime model, which would be great. And well, um, I mean, would
1: it be great though? Because the Prime the, the Prius Prime that I drove, it wasn't smooth. Like it wasn't No, for- I think it
0: would be closer to the Rav four Prime powertrain, right?
1: Um, I mean
0: maybe. Maybe. It seems bigger. It could fit that.
1: It's a long time since I've driven a, a Rav Four Prime. Oh, sorry, a, a Rav Four Prime. Yeah, that's that's what I meant to say.
0: That's okay. Um, so then, okay, the other one would be, um, sorry, you were mentioning the the powertrain on this thing. Four hundred pound feet of torque out of this thing would be pretty killer. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, more power has always been the solution to a lot of problems, right?
1: Oh yeah, I, I mean, giving someone or something more power has never backfired in the entire history of anything. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're very right about that. I think you should um, write a manifesto about that in fact. I think you're that right.
0: You're so silly. Um okay. Then from there we've mentioned the the fuel economy, we've mentioned the power of terrain. What else were, we you mentioned a little bit of the the handling there uh with a very clumsy uh <laughs> description of it. Yeah, which I, did I my hope best. we don't edit out.
1: Generally I'm a wordsmith, you know. No big deal. <laughs> MBD. Um okay, and then what? The interior is pretty nice. Okay. Uh, I've heard some people call it Lexus. Like, I don't know if I would go that far, but it's comfortable and it looks good. And there's decent amounts of room overall. Overall. I like this vehicle. I would just like it a lot more if it was something special. Like I think that, that, that hybrid max drivetrain is really great. And I feel like it deserves, it deserves to be in a vehicle that breaks some rules and tries something new. And I think the, the only rules the crown really breaks are styling related and I feel like that kind of styling works so much better if it's backed up by practicality that justifies it. And having that be missing, it's going to really limit the number of people who are interested in this vehicle.
0: Okay. Um, then what about, did you mention the pricing of this thing? Because I yes, thought that times. the pricing is the pricing is the major concern for me. It's
1: 40 grand for base and then 53 for platinum.
0: So what are we comparing this to in general? Is there a comparator? Or is there something that is that <clears throat> somebody is looking to buy... No, I mean,
1: there's nothing out there that's a full-size sedan anymore, right? I mean, what, Why are a Maxima, I guess, thing? or like uh, you, the Impala is still kind of available, I think, or okay. is it the Malibu? One of those sedans is still out there in like a single trim level from Chevrolet. There's, there's really not much. I mean, Chrysler 300, which is dead this year. It's again, this this if it was actually a hatchback, then you could say, yeah, I'm comparing it against a Murano or something like that, right? Right, right. It doesn't have that functionality. it just has the look, so I don't know it It's kind of out there on its own. The singer is also dead, I think, at the end of this year, so it doesn't even compare against that.
0: interesting. so then, do you think this thing has has legs like it'll it'll last longer than
1: who knows? I mean, are we going to see a situation where like we did with Prius where they tried to make a family of vehicles, so we're going to have a bunch of different crowns, just like we had the Prius C and the uh, what was the other one the Prius V? That's great great marketing right there. Just Rhyming consonants. Let's just go with it. I guess Surprise! we didn't get a Prius T. People would have Um, thought it was T for turbo, I guess. Turbo Prius.
0: That'd be great. Or touring.
1: Hit us up if you have a turbo Prius. We'd love to hear the story.
0: Well, I mean, I imagine that's what's going to happen in the long run, right? They're going to change a lot of their powertrains to whatever this crown is using. And if the crown powertrain is a highlight of the product, then I think we've got some good um, days ahead.
1: If you put this powertrain in every other Toyota product, it would instantly improve it. Yeah. No joke. This would be better in a 4Runner than that ancient <laughs> ah, ah, 15 ah. to 20-year-old powertrain that's in there now. I have right. no doubt. I that's would love it. It would, it would make the 4Runner relevant again. I would be able to recommend it to
0: people. Um, tell, So then, is there any recommendations here? Do you want somebody to buy this? Do you think it would work for anybody more than any other option in the in the Toyota powertrain <laughs> well, power line i mean if you, portfolio if
1: you want a brand new full size sedan mm-hmm. and it's 2024 and you've discovered that no other company makes a full size sedan uh that outside the luxury uh, segment yeah then you're probably going to buy a crowd. that's i don't know i guess that's the customer i feel like if it had been a hatchback i could recommend it as it is, I don't think I can recommend it. I can't dissuade you from it. I don't think there's anything wrong with buying it. I just think there's probably better choices. Right. Unless unless you just want a roomy family car and you don't care about trunk space, in which case this does a good job and it has decent power and it has good fuel mileage. So those those are all positives.
0: Interesting. I don't know. I'm not buying it. I really, I don't know. Like there are a couple of cars that we've mentioned um, might have been ahead of their time. And I do think that the Honda cross tour is, is one of them. Like I think. Was it if, though?
1: Because I mean, the Outback had been around for so many years before we got cross tour. It's not like they didn't but now know. Everything is an Outback. But they didn't know how to, it's not like they didn't know how to execute what the, what the cross tour should have been. Right. I saw mm. one the other day and I talked to someone about it. Cause I was taking a picture of it and then they were walking towards it. And I'm like, Oh, this is a, this is a playing with fire this situation. Looks, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, yeah, I never see these. And the guy's like, staring at me like okay like this probably bought it because it was affordable and available you know like no understanding of the intense automotive baggage that goes with owning a cross tour
0: right um it's like
1: owning a baja and not knowing you own a baja you know
0: <laughs> no there's there's other cars that are like you know what i saw today you're gonna laugh a scion xa have you ever seen a scion xa oh, lately it's been
1: so long what a I weird see car. VinFast I see more Vinfasts now that I see xas I know. I see.
0: I've seen a couple of Vinfasts each week, and I'm like, "What?" I always what look at the driver. You?
1: I'm always curious. I'm like, "Who are you? Who are you to spend so much money with so little due diligence?" Like that's, that's my, <laughs> my instant curiosity about that person. I want you get
0: one of these VinFast owners on the podcast. If you have a VinFast, let us know I wanna, What's the story I want to th-
1: think that, like, a VinFast owner, it's, like, one of, like, 12 cars that they own. And they're just like, yeah, VinFast, it's new, I want it. And then they get it, and they're like, yeah, it's just, I'll park it beside my Lamborghini or whatever.
0: Oh, come on, come on. You've seen this car, right? It's not the prettiest car. It's very derivative-looking. It's derivative not about looking. being
1: pretty, though. It's about having something that your Tesla-owning neighbor doesn't have.
0: Jeez, okay. Um... That's so funny. Are you – anything you want to talk about with this crown or crown adjacent? No. Maybe you want to talk about the BMW 6 Series some I
1: seed my time.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk about a vehicle that has been pretty thoroughly updated and has left a, a completely different impression on me than when I first drove it a few years ago. And that is the Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport. Now, Cross I'm going sport. to be blunt – Yes, I'm going to be blunt about the Volkswagen Atlas, and um, I felt that when when this product and the Crossport launched, it felt a little rushed to me in terms of execution, um, which is to say that it was a three-row SUV designed for the North American market, and then a two-row version of it, just because. And um, they didn't really execute very well in terms of fit and finish and materials and packaging and pricing was all over the place and it just wasn't an enjoyable product it was a white space product
1: right like we've talked about so many times
0: not just a yeah it was a it filled in a gap in the in the volkswagen showroom and didn't move the needle when it compared to other products in that space that were so successful like say the highlander or the pilot um, which were far more easier to recommend at the time, and
1: yet, right? And yet, like, when you say that out loud, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, they're not those... They're not like, exciting vehicles, you know? And they're not even particularly amazing, but they do what they're supposed to do.
0: And they do it for a, a reasonable price or they do it with with certain confidence from the, the consumer that I think lets them continue to see success. Now, I've said this before in other Volkswagen products um, that I've driven it, at their first drives. I said, I think at the time, wait for the refresh, I think the refresh is here and I'm driving the Atlas Cross Sport and I actually think they executed it as well as they should have. This would is what say, the product Would
1: you say mm-hmm? the Cross Sport is the X6 of the of the Atlas world?
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, kind of. So, that's to describe the um, the Volkswagen Atlas is a three-row SUV. The Cross Sport is a product that's slightly smaller uh, without the third row and um, but Mainly targeting that mid-sized SUV space, um, so I would I would compare it against the um, Subaru Outback, the the Hyundai Santa Fe, and the Kia Sorento. I think are the main product, and the Honda Passport.
1: I always thought that it had like that sloping rear deck.
0: It's not that super sloping at all. I'm, it's I'm a, taking in, a look at least, at pictures now. It's been, at least that profile doesn't seem to interfere with the passenger space, which I think is the number one concern when you have that sloping rear yeah, profile. Yeah, it's kind of
1: MDX-like, I guess, if I was going to compare it to anything in the back.
0: Yeah, I think the Arteon, if you remember the Arteon or the oh, Full Oh, the Arteon Sweat. is was
1: still it? on sale. That is something that, <laughs> sorry, just going back to our Crown thing, that is definitely a competitor for the Crown in the sense that... But it's that, not a hybrid. I mean yeah, but I mean no one buys the Arteon. There's nothing wrong with the Arteon. I I I, I, I think it drives fine, but the Arteon is like is like the Passat ended up being where, like, they had this vehicle, but they had no buyers for it anymore.
0: Right. You know? Well, there was also a CC, like Volkswagen CC, but the I CC think. the CC
1: was at least a style-forward kind of look. I think the Arteon yeah. was, like, a, an attempt to merge the Passat and the CC and make something that was stylish but also large to appeal to American customers. But I, th- mm-hmm. I don't think they realized that American customers who want a big sedan don't shop at Volkswagen.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. So – this this Atlas Crossport, like I said, when when I first drove it a while back, it was offered in with two powertrains, including a V six engine, and I found it to be a little um, average. Like just to be blunt, really average, um, as in it felt like they just phoned it in. Like this is they they just took their three row, got rid of a th- a row. And said, "We're done now. Here you go." Yeah, and and
1: and the like you had mentioned earlier, the build quality was kind of medium, really
0: plasticky, yeah. Just and the packaging wasn't quite there uh, in terms of features and equipment. Um, and I think if you were to recommend a product in the past, it would have been the entry level model. You just want the entry level model. Get get it out of the way. <laughs> it's funny, that's whenever, what you get.
1: Whenever we recommend the entry level model, I feel it's because like the vehicle technically does what it's supposed to do yeah and so we're trying to get people into it for the least amount of money possible exactly. without without them buying features that are just going to disappoint them
0: absolutely absolutely or or other items that i don't think are, are necessary yeah for 2024 the cro- the product gets a a ton of new standard features well not standard features it changes it's like it's it's packaging entirely and i think this is a huge asset like i i can't get over how well equipped this thing is. The entry level model has heated, and vented f- front seats. Okay. It has um, it has a huge twelve inch um, center screen. It has eighteen inch wheels. It has you know us four USB C ports. I w- I was so impressed by by some of this. Uh, it has that cock that digital cockpit as well. Um, I was impressed just by looking at the spec sheet, saying, "Hey, this has got all of the things that you really would want." Just from the the entry level, it's a bit expensive. Thirty six thousand um, dollars is the entry level vehicle. When you can get an, I think you can get an Outback for twenty eight thousand, but it just wouldn't have that much. I think, um, no, I wouldn't call it premium, but like button down feel in the cabin. So I want to I want to go back and tell you that all of that plasticky, rubber made feeling plastic that was in the in the old Atlas has been replaced. It feels much more finished which
1: trim level did you drive
0: i drove a top trim sel premium r-line so there's which you know, is an there's, awful name for the, for I know, the car there's but, two
1: r-lines right there's the sel yes. r-line and the sel premium r-line which is funny and <laughs> yes. it's funny because at volkswagen you would think r-line means sporty but it doesn't mean that at all it's no. it's totally a style thing and it's odd mm-hmm. because you know if you look at other companies like kia where they have and or, or hyundai has like n-line and n at least mm-hmm. they make it look sporty at Volkswagen, there's no real link to the Golf R, which is the only actual R model. Uh, so I, I, it's it's an yeah. it's strange.
0: And I mean, if they say that there are line exterior styling, I don't think you can actually tell what those styling cues are
1: you have to really <laughs> know volkswagen products like you have to be like okay that extra led in the air intake like that's totally our line or those wheels are totally our line like you have to not be a fanboy but just be someone who's detail oriented with the volkswagen lineup for sure
0: i will say that this top trim level model is a little expensive starting at around 51 500 you which is a, a lot for that you can get a crown for that i actually might i mean unless you really really need the 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 hybrid powertrain in the crown i would probably recommend the atlas cross sport here well it happens Um, to
1: have a hatchback and
0: yeah and it's super practical um i really enjoyed using i think we mentioned three row we mentioned practicality of three row um crossovers a few podcasts back yes and i said that i don't think especially now as somebody who now Always has to have a space reserved in his SUV for a stroller or baby crap. Um, I'm all on board with these mid-sized SUVs. I think they work. I think they're they're actually really smartly designed for people who just need to haul a bunch of dumb stuff always and don't need people. Now, they need stuff more than people. If you were to
1: compare the Atlas Cross Sport to the Tiguan, yes. how much of an upgrade is it?
0: this feels like a totally different product. It feels way more, um, upscale. It feels a little bit more like bigger. You have, you feel like you have more breathing room in the car itself. Like it feels like, and that was always one of the assets I think of the old Atlas. I think if you drove an Atlas, you would immediately say this feels bigger than a, than a Highlander. Like it feels when you're in it, like you're not just in a, in a large crossover, like a, like a Sorry, a small crossover. This felt like a big car. And I think you get the same feeling in the Atlas Cross Sport. It feels um really airy inside. I really rec- I really like acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that that it's comfortable, it feels big. Um I want to mention the R-Line stuff. I want to believe that it was it was a product of the premium R-Line model that I had. It has um Really gorgeous interior seating um, surfaces. They're like perforated um, with blue, like beneath the perforations. So it looks really fancy. Like it really looks sharp. Like that's to me really nice attention to detail. Um, And you'll find the that R line that R. They have like a stylized R everywhere, and uh, I found that to be a pretty nice touch as well. Again, for a 50002 thousand dollar, you know, two row SUV, it has to be good. Um, and I think that the packaging is there now. I think it's where it's finally needed to be. And then all that's needed is whether or not the powertrain and the uh, and the driving experience matches that. And I think for the most part, we're there. I think um, the, they got rid of the V6, which is uh, always an interesting decision because there was nothing really wrong with the V6. Well, and it, I didn't think that the four-cylinder was particularly fuel-friendly. Yes? I'm just
1: going to say it's probably you know somewhat related to fuel – uh, or emissions in their home market?
0: Yeah. Um, so instead, they've got this turbocharged two-liter four-cylinder engine. I think everybody who's had a Volkswagen in the past, I don't know, 10 years is familiar with this engine. I think it's the same engine. I'm pretty sure it's an EA 888. Um, maybe it's not. I might be crazy. I'll double check. But um, it it makes a ton of power. It makes 269 horsepower and 273 pound-feet of torque, um, which is... Little less power, but more torque than that old V6, but somehow, somehow, this four-cylinder is capable of towing five thousand pounds, which is what the old V6 used to do.
1: It's probably you know, well, it's 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 braking and chassis related at that point, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, and then the power the the powertrain is mated to an eight-speed automatic. You can get it front or all-wheel drive. Um, I got the all-wheel drive model. I actually found still this thing. An
1: all- you can still get a front-wheel drive version of the top trim.
0: Oh, I don't know about the top trim. Okay. Um but I know that you can get this powertrain um in the in the other in the other drivetrains. Let me double check. I think you can. Nothing here specifically says otherwise. Um now I was concerned because again, it's uh the Atlas Crossport is based on the big Atlas um SUV. The four-cylinder can feel a little um winded by that size of vehicle. But I think their gearing really helps deliver a more confident driving experience from that four cylinder engine. um it didn't feel weighed down by the vehicle, and um I actually found it to be pretty confident out there on the road. It also has all the same drive modes that you can expect it's got um including a custom one where you can you can select you know um a, the 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 sportier powertrain tuning and the looser steering feel um. And I think that's cool too, but, um, other elements of the vehicle didn't quite, um, astound me. I'm going to go back to this thing. The same thing we complain about in Volkswagens every time we have one, it's the, it's the, that infotainment system, please just light up the buttons underneath the screen. That'll make a huge difference. You're seriously stops-
1: telling me that this is spread to the Atlas crossboard as well. From its origins inside the Volkswagen Golf R. Yeah.
0: So that means, uh, just as a reminder, there's a big screen. There's a big central screen on the Atlas Cross Sport. It it, it is very well. It's very responsive. Honestly, it's a very good screen. It it responds to touch very well. uh, And it has a sort of proximity sensor so that when you bring your finger to it, um, it reacts and shows you more. More context to whatever you're about to push, which yeah, you know, is is cool, but kind of frustrating because if you don't know what you're doing, so the first few times you use the vehicle, you're hovering your hand around the screen trying to find the control you're really looking yeah, for. Yeah, that's, that's absurd. Um, but the main issue is that below the screen are touch sensitive is a touch sensitive panel, kind of like that. Um, I think Apple had like a touch panel on some of their MacBooks. So there's like um, um a volume slider and um, two um hvac sliders temperature sliders on either either side of it so that people can change their their temperature settings the problem is at night these controls are not lit up and if you forget that you'll end up putting your thumb you're bracing your finger to use the vehicle the, the touchscreen um and you'll end up putting your finger where one of those sliders are and start doing something you didn't really want to do um it's very distracting and then, as a result, the only way to adjust the um, these settings is to uh, there's a, there's a separate climate button that you need to press first, and then go to a climate change screen. Um, which is in a different part of the vehicle yeah you don't want to have two button presses just to change no
1: i just started foaming at the mouth and falling over backwards with, for that explanation like the fact that it's that complicated to do something that's yeah. so basic on almost any vehicle is it
0: should just i mean so many vehicles just have a knob right like or two buttons it's it works it's, so, it's almost like
1: it's worked for shall we say decades
0: <laughs> and all they could have done to resolve this function this problem is just put backlighting on those on those items on those touch panels and you'll be finished you're done you're happy um another element i want to mention is the adaptive cruise control and lane keeping systems are hit and miss they were not super um reliable i would say or confidence inspiring sometimes the the adaptive cruise control would feel pretty good but other times it was uh, a little too aggressive for me which doesn't add a sense of like safety It just feels like you're about like the car needs to slam on its brakes whenever it gets close to another vehicle in front of it. I don't love that, Um, and the lane keeping was hit or miss. I don't know if that's just because of temperature, I mean, uh, of climate or something else, but it just didn't seem to really always want to nudge me over or or went too far, or I don't know, I just didn't, it didn't, it felt like we were always at odds, and I hate that when you're with a car. Yeah,
1: you should never be, I mean, as much as those kinds of systems can kind of help you with fatigue when you're driving a long distance, if you're fighting it the whole time, it's going to have the opposite effect.
0: Yeah, so I think um, overall, though, the Atlas Crossport has turned into a vehicle that I would recommend over, let's say, a Honda Passport. Um, I also think that finish-wise, it might be better than a Kia Sorrento it might be up there with a Santa Fe and the outback in terms of fully loaded models. The outback just has sometimes a few um that infotainment screen is is dated looking it's it works, but it just looks a little clumsy. It's this massive panel in the in the center center uh cl- sorry the center not the center console stack. on the dash on the center stack um and it is it just looks a little clumsy and like not gorgeous
1: what about reliability like uh, always a concern with volkswagen long-term
0: yes always a control with concern with volkswagen i think i mentioned this this turbocharged engine i think if this is what i think it is let me double i I was supposed to look it up if it's the same model as always
1: i'm not so Um, so much worried about the engine as i am about everything that's attached to the engine specifically the electronics and sensors
0: (laughs) yes um this is the this is the ea triple eight i believe yeah. So I, I would trust that engine. I think a lot of people have had um, a lot of good luck with that motor. Um, and there's a lot of parts for it, I guess, and a lot of familiarity at um, dealerships and service centers. So I would I would say that you can probably rely on that motor. But you're right. Everything else. I haven't heard the Atlas being a, a huge pain in the ass. Oops. I should, am I allowed to say that on the podcast? I can't remember. Well,
1: I don't know, but there will be consequences when we get off air.
0: I'm so sorry, Ben. Oh, no. Um, And um, I don't know. Of course, you know, Volkswagen's biggest issue has always been um, not just reliability, but I think the cost of repairs has always been a concern. But at the same time now, this is made in in the United States. That might help um, in terms of that, in terms of part sourcing. Um, Whereas old models, which helped build that reputation, might not have been. That's my belief. I don't know if that's true or not, though. So uh, do you believe you, that you don't believe that you I, don't have anything? To say I'm
1: super that. hesitant to recommend Volkswagen's outside of warranty, inside warranty, knock yourself out. But even, you know, there have been. But a, I
0: know so many people who have had Golf's for like decades.
1: Sure. But I also know someone who bought a golf R this year that had to return it under the lemon law.
0: Oh, uh, yes, I do. I do know that. I have read that story. Yes. So
1: it's, you know, it, it's not like it doesn't happen. And you just don't hear about that so much with other brands
0: that's true very true but Um, i mean
1: you it it is does seem like a strong recommendation for you to say okay buy this over kia buy this maybe over or alongside subaru but i've
0: heard kias have had serious uh, kias and hyundai's have had serious reliability concerns in the past like uh, actually not past recent um history has has said that they're not super reliable either or while they are backed very well by a, a superb warranty and people and you can get a lot of things covered they will break like yeah maybe I, I mean
1: my, my my mom's got one and uh a santa fe she's her right? second santa fe and they haven't had any yeah. issues so
0: that's true I mean, fingers, okay. fingers
1: crossed it's just anecdotal but
0: and of course it always depends on the on the you know behaviors of the buyer if they're doing regular maintenance or i guess you know, so. how they treat a vehicle as well
1: well anything else you want to say about uh cross cross sport
0: i'm just i'm glad that you know, I, I I don't want to toot my own horn, but I did say wait, like when it first came that this these a lot of the Volkswagen products just need a refresh to be really competitive or even better than the competition. And I'm glad that they have done that. They have proven me right when I said that um, because it's so close. It was so close. The basics are there, and now it's it's gonna well, maybe that's what
1: happens when you rush something to market because you feel like you have to be selling something because your competitors are selling that thing. Yeah. I guess so. But, like, do it right. I mean, like, when we were talking about the CX-90 recently, you know, another vehicle that feels really rushed and that you can't really recommend.
0: But that's weird because the CX-9, while feeling a little bit dated, was not, like, it was not dead. Like, it was not, like, uh, useless. No, but it was a brand new platform. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So you're saying they could have just left the CX-9 for one more year and... Let the uh, let the CX ninety kind of bake a little longer, and it might have been better for them.
0: Well, I guess maybe that's the other thing is that they can still get a couple of sales on early adopters who are impressed by the either the the technology or the design. But I mean, that, that um, first
1: impression is important, right? With a new model, yeah, of course. You kind of want to of put course. your best best foot forward. I don't know.
0: It didn't seem to affect Volkswagen. I think I see a lot of atlases out there on the road.
1: Really, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, if you were to compare Volkswagen sales to say toyota sales
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean they
1: they hate being a are they toyota, sniffing like... at that highlander money i also <laughs> want to point out i don't think volkswagen has ever made a profit in north america or maybe they've made what yeah i think they've made pro, had a pro turned a profit one year in their entire existence in north america it's been a very so the
0: global the global success has been
1: the global success has not translated into volkswagen of america's profits I'm saying okay. they're break even at best. So they're still trying to solve the American customer, I think is where I'm going with that.
0: That's interesting because they have more SUVs. I mean, they have that Taos, I think it's called? Taos? They have
1: more SUVs now. But I think also, remember what I was saying earlier about how people aren't going to certain dealerships to buy a full-size sedan? I think yeah. that for a very long time, people were not going to a Volkswagen dealership to buy a large SUV. And I think that's part of what hurt the Atlas when it first came out. It's like, if you were in the market for that, you wouldn't think, oh, I'll go to Volkswagen you know like it wasn't top of mind
0: you really think so i thought the toureg had a
1: no the toureg was a disaster i mean that was <laughs> i that love was the toureg that was a vehicle that was overbuilt and yeah, then exactly. and then decontented <laughs> then decontented <laughs> and a reliability issue from day one
0: like that that's what i love i loved it
1: it's something that you just can't own it's not you know it's it's like a cayenne a cayenne an older cayenne
0: yeah it a has cayenne reliability issues
1: it's reliability issues but the the upside is i guess you have a porsche suv and it can be fun to drive if you're into that but the touring has like many of the same issues <laughs> without the, the upside yeah yeah <laughs> uh
0: what was the one that they had that was overbuilt the phaeton the the phaeton is uh we could do a whole episode on i know phaeton. i've seen or the w12 motor lifetime. of
1: course i've seen two in my lifetime oh
0: uh, yes street parked i mean as usual yeah waiting Um, probably
1: waiting for a (laughs) toe. oh well they made an eight cylinder as well right they had the w8 and they had a 12 cylinder
0: yeah wild yeah
1: very wild it was from the era where like ferdinand was it ferdinand piek was like i think people will pay audi money for a volkswagen sedan and the world proved him wrong But really, all he had to do was ask anyone if they were willing to do that.
0: Wasn't there also a diesel version of this car with an insane V10? There was a V10 Touareg
1: diesel, which our uh, friend of the podcast and longtime listener, Addy, has had one of those, I believe. I believe he had two. Uh, Okay. If you could remind me, Addy, if you you had two of those or if I'm making that up. Um, And he loved them. They were fantastic. But he also is the kind of person... Who is willing to deal with problems with as they come up and has the resources to take care of those problems because he is an enthusiast. So I think that if you're not an enthusiast, it's really tough to own like one of those V10 turbos. I, 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 Audi made a version of the um, Q7 right that had the mm-hmm. same or a similar drivetrain. Yeah and that thing was wild too. I mean there's this like <laughs> a strange era. At Volkswagen, where they were like, we're going to make a whole bunch of crazy drivetrains that are sort of related and are horrendously expensive to develop. It's like when Cadillac made that Blackwing motor for like two years. (laughs) Volkswagen was like doing that for a long time.
0: They're like, okay,
1: remember that V10 we had? Well, here's a different V10.
0: (laughs) So... So what you're saying is if if the old school mentality was still at Volkswagen, they would look at this Atlas Cross Sport and they would say, well, use the same powertrain, uh, the same platform as the Cayenne and the Bentayga, and the Euros, and be like, let's just put one of those massive twin turbo V8 engines in there and uh, and make it and make it uh, an Atlas R. Oh, no, sorry. I'm looking at the Touareg still. Sorry, I think that the if Touareg you put doesn't a- have a great platform at all. It has the MQB platform. So there's nothing very fun we can do with that. Is there. There's no Touareg anymore. I was looking at the old Touareg, so I'm okay. looking. I'm mistaken. Sorry. I should never speak ever again.
1: Maybe not. But certainly not in, in a recorded form. I think that's okay. your weakness. I think it's like. Please
0: ignore what I just said. The I recording, apologize. Recording
1: it just brings out all sorts of things that people call evidence that can be used against you.
0: Uh, yeah, they're always throwing that in my face. MQB. That's what this. Did you know you were under oath on this on.
1: podcast, Sammy?
0: I know. I know. I forget. Bob.
1: <laughs> going to jail again. <laughs> it's always for the silliest reasons
0: oh no sorry my mistake it's an mqb platform there's nothing fun on the mqb platform if except for something a called a cupra Formentor, which i think is a great name for a car
1: if you put a v10 in the atlas it would fly apart it would like <laughs> it would like you would turn it on and the idling alone would shake it to pieces
0: i want this uh, five cylinder engine is that around still i think so stuff that in something
1: so uh we one last thing to wrap things up um we had some we had uh um a listener reach out to us uh, Raiko reached out from Australia. We say hello and thank you for for listening, as always. But he had a, they had a couple of questions for us, a couple of quick fire questions. Uh, the first is Sammy. Yes, sir. Would we consider making a Netflix documentary about unnamed automotive podcast?
0: I guess so. I mean, I'm not doing anything important. Like, why not? I mean, you are kind of raising a child, and that's if Netflix has Netflix if Netflix still has the Netflix money. I know they have. Yeah, they know. High- they know they know the. Uh, they know how the contract works. They know how the negotiations work. I
1: wonder how it would be. Well, I mean-
0: what would it be? <laughs> What would happen? They would just record us. It would be recording a because
1: podcast. we live like 500 kilometers apart. So getting us together on a regular basis is not going to be free.
0: <laughs> but uh, I think yeah, they'd have to move my whole family over to rural Quebec. There, yeah, I think it would
1: be fun. I think Sammy, you would re- adjust well to rural life, and I think you would be able to teach your son the ways of the world that he needs to, you know, forage and and hunt his own food and generate his own electricity and. Maybe some yeah. of this would make it onto the documentary, but probably not. Probably,
0: probably not. Probably honestly, it would be mostly cars. What would they want to know about our experience on? I mean, we've we've had pretty good experience on on video. I hope that uh, I don't think I'm that rusty on video. We still have I still have driving CA. Asking me to do some videos for them, so why not? Yeah. Um, I would
1: definitely. I would take that Netflix money. I would make something that they could maybe air or maybe not. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that will be up to their legal department and their censorship. Uh, Oh come
0: on! They could do anything if they've got big mouth out there. They could they could put whatever. That's true, Sammy. But
1: that's animated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that was a whole different. I don't think we would make an
1: animated documentary. I think that would be difficult. Uh, But there's, you know, here's the thing though. If we did do a Netflix unnamed automotive podcast on Netflix as a documentary, there would definitely be a Star Cars face-off segment, and we would just instantly lose all of our (laughs) listeners.
0: (laughs) Actually, we should get the actual cars.
1: Yeah, yeah, or We'd be the driving of the cars, Batmobiles and Ecto ones, fulfilling our childhood fantasies at the expense of Netflix. I, I would but, love it. I just feel like no one else is interested in that. Um, the second my question, belief though, would be my
0: belief would be that the star cards are always so co- like cobbled together haphazardly for for on-screen youth that they would be awful to drive it's they funny. would all be so bad to drive it's
1: funny that you mentioned that and i'm sure we talked about this on the star cars uh, mini episode that nobody listened to <laughs> but uh dan Aykroyd was he ended up i think buying one of the ecto ones from ghostbusters at the end of shooting but during i want to say i can't remember if it's the first or second movie but the the car broke down on a bridge in new york city and cost them like tens of thousands of dollars because they only had a permit to film there for a certain amount of time and they couldn't and they move went the, over yeah they couldn't move the car and then Shit. they had to get it moved and they had all their crew there and they got all these fines and stuff because it was in really horrendous shape
0: Jeez. okay yeah that's what i want that's what i want a documentary about that's so, all. <laughs> so the, the second question is, is for
1: you sammy what is your favorite thing and least favorite thing about being a new parent and be careful
0: because your entire
1: family is listening to this
0: episode. I know. They're always listening. My favorite thing is it actually brings a lot of people together. The The kid, everyone wants to see the kid. Everyone's calling to, to see what he's up to. They want to put the kid to uh, work. Yeah. And, and be a part of the family. Um, so he brings he brings people together. I think it's really cute. And he is also the most adorable child I've ever seen. Pretty adorable. Um, I, I know I'm biased, but every time um, I look at him, I'm like, this is insane. This, this child should not be this cute. Um, and I think it's just, it's just adorable. I love it. Um, least favorite thing, obviously the sleep deprivation is, is killer. I hope, um, like, like I said, I went to a whole rant on the wrong platform here. Yeah. I I mean, Uh, I
1: I cut this out when the editing booth, but Sammy does this thing called micro napping. We're like mid sentence. He just disappears from my audio. He's just gone. And then I have to wait a little bit and then he comes back. He doesn't miss a beat and he doesn't know he's been asleep for eight to nine seconds.
0: But I know. (laughs) I know. Hopefully his his GP
1: knows.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? So far, um, because of all the safety gear in cars, I haven't had a real problem on the road, but sometimes it catches me between red lights or stop signs. That's the worst part. Um, But the other thing is it can be fair. It seems to be fairly expensive. There's a lot of stuff he, he goes through, like diapers and formula and wipes and like I don't know. He he also racked up a gnarly phone bill. Bad day trading yeah. decisions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's I don't know where I mean, he gets he's these awake ideas. All the time. <laughs> I know. He's awake all the time. He's using his phone. He's just calling people bye, 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 fell, <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know. Can't he just say dada instead of this? So um so what happens there's when, all your, sorts of when your son
1: learns to speak by watching Wolf of Wall Street.
0: Well, I've got that on a loop in one of my rooms. It's a very motivational <laughs> movie for <laughs> me. Um But thank you. Thank you, Rica, for the for the questions and the comments. And for yeah, Carrie, Listen, and for
1: carrying Sam, it's it's tough, you know, being a new parent. I know I know you know what that's like, and um it's it's nice that Sammy has that kind of support.
0: I appreciate it, yes. And uh and yeah, if anybody else has more questions for me as as a parent, if there's any sort of parental I have no comments. I have no advice. So my child is is still he's an experiment. Still man. very new. Like, <laughs> yeah, we open ended. Experimenting with everything. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but I am going through all sorts of new stuff. Like I recently bought these uh, these shades for my. I told you I bought an Outback. I wanted sun shades in the back, um, and I got these shades from Australia. They're called Snap Shades. They work really nice um i really would recommend them i think they're a bit pricey but they're super super flashy um another thing that people have been wondering about is like um a mirror a mirror in the back of the uh, the the headrest you can keep an eye on the baby while you're driving around the problem is he loves looking at himself in the mirror um and just sits there giggling and laughing to himself instead of you know taking a nap or something that's not so
1: bad though it's better than the alternative
0: you think so? Okay. I'm so. frowning and frowning and yeah. crying at it, making that making the so. the, the, the,
1: this, this, the angry face. Uh, so next week, Sammy, uh, what are we going to be talking about?
0: I got, I got some feature ideas that I want to express to you. I think we've got some fun um, fun stories that we haven't had a chance to talk about on the podcast, and uh, I think our listeners will really appreciate them.
1: But no car. What about you? But
0: no car. I don't think so. Okay,
1: <laughs> I I do have a car to talk about. Uh, I actually have two. The first is. The Chevrolet Colorado Trail Boss, which is my first time driving the redesigned Colorado. I drove the Canyon earlier this year, which is same, but different in some interesting ways. And also, um, later this week, Sammy, my partner and I are going to be going to pick up her first new car slash my first new car. And we're going to be talking about that, I think, what that experience is like.
0: Excellent. I can't wait to hear because there's always... New car buying experiences can vary so much for so di- so many different people. I believe you went into this with without telling them that you're in the media or anything like that. And, oh no, uh, I wore a
1: giant. I had this shirt that just
0: said press press. Yeah, <laughs> and on the
1: back it says, "Do you bench?" <laughs> you,
0: br- <laughs> I thought you brought your your vest from the from covering the launch of uh, the Audi E-Tron that, in relief. Uh, I right? stole no. it
1: from a I stole it from a CrossFit gym.
0: There you go. So I think people really uh, appreciate hearing your take on what the the process is like. just like they did your, your EV charger installation stories.
1: All right. So, uh, once again, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us or ask us, tell us your stories, ask us questions, or just kind of give us some feedback, you can do that in a bunch of ways. Um, the easiest way is probably going to unnamed automotivepodcast.com. There's a feedback form there where you clickety click and it goes right to our in- inbox, or you can email me the old fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. If you prefer to use social media, Sammy's still on X slash used to be Twitter, but you can reach him there at Sammy underscore. Ha, huh? like you're laughing. Although I'm not sure if people can actually send direct messages on Twitter slash X anymore. I think you might have to pay what? to type. I think you have to pay per character. I don't know. It's crazy. I, I tried to send someone a message out the other day because I used to use it as a journalist. It's useful.
0: Yeah, it's great for people. networking. I love it.
1: But now, if you're not a verified user, I think you. I mean, it's impossible to use. So, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Instagram, which is still free, <laughs> uh, as long as you don't consider all the data they're harvesting. You can get me at Hunting Benjamin.
0: Um, what else is there to talk about? You you mentioned the podcast contact form. Yes. You mentioned the website. Yes.
1: Thanks for running down the last 30 seconds. I don't know.
0: I got nothing. (laughs) You you took my job. Now I got nothing else to say. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you later next week, hopefully with more sleep in mind.
1: All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.